Hello, and welcome to New People, New Ways, a podcast in partnership with Fresh Expressions Florida and Fresh Expressions United Methodist that explores new ways of being church through the stories and insights of scholars and practitioners alike within the movement. I'm Piper Ramsey Sumner, a layperson and cultivator of Fresh Expressions here in the Florida Conference of the UMC. And I'm Michael Beck. Um, local pastor and cultivator of Fresh Expressions in my local context and director of Fresh Expressions Florida. For our first episode, we are joined by Bishop Ken Carter, resident bishop of the Florida Western North Carolina Conferences of the United Methodist Church. This is his 10th and final year serving as resident bishop in Florida. At the beginning of 23, he'll begin a full-time assignment as bishop in Western North Carolina where he has served since 2021. Bishop Carter gives pastoral and administrative leadership to nearly 2,000 congregations, fresh expressions of church, campus ministries, and outreach initiatives. He's played a vital role in many councils, boards, commissions within the denomination, and has published over 18 books, including two books about fresh expressions, co-authored with Reverend Audrey Warren. He earned degrees from Columbus College, Duke Divinity School, the University of Virginia, and Princeton Theological Seminary. Bishop Carter and his wife, Pam, have been married for more than 40 years, and Pam has served as an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church, most recently in disaster recovery. And together, they have two daughters and two granddaughters, which if you follow them on social at all, you'll see a lot about them. Bishop Carter, welcome. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you, Michael and Piper. And I just have such profound respect for you both and delight in your gifts and just happy to be in this conversation. Yes, we're so glad that you accepted the invite to be our first ever interviewee for this podcast. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So first question, um, who is Ken Carter? You know, I would say I'm a, I like to think of myself first as a husband and father and grandfather and brother and friend. And sometimes a lot of that gets pushed to the edge. I think that's very true for many people who are in leadership, but I like to think that's who I really am at my core. And when I'm healthier, I'm I'm living more that way, and a, and a follower of Jesus, saved by grace. Uh, Ephesians two eight and nine was the core of my coming into all of this. It was all a gift, uh, and and so that that sort of led to uh, a calling, which was a mystery, and a life adult lifetime of serving along with people. And uh, this really is always uh, a collaboration, and I learn from a lot of people. Michael, you've you've done some work uh, in reverse mentoring with us, and I, I think I've been a mentor to some people, and I have also been mentored by some people, and that cuts across all kinds of ages and experiences. And then, uh, you know, I have a few hobbies. Hobbies I love to drink good coffee. And um, I love to watch baseball and I love to listen to music, all kinds of music. And I love to walk and hike. And so that's that's a little 
little bit of who I am. So. Yeah, yeah, and I love that you grind the beans and the intentionality yeah. yeah. of like mm-hmm. slowing time, yeah. appreciating that. So, mm-hmm. not yeah. just good coffee, but you like to grind the beans. That's right. It's just fresher that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amen. Mm-hmm. When yeah. when I make coffee at home like that, I make my husband do the bean grinding. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. <laughs> make him do yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great. Awesome. Yeah. Well, okay. So before we go to the next question, I would love to hear you talk more about reverse mentoring. What does that look like for you as somebody who is in leadership and the kind of people that you interact with? And does it just happen naturally or is it a formal process? What does it look like? I think reverse mentoring, well, mentoring is often someone with a certain kind of experience or skill set. Uh, will mentor someone who is uh, on a on a path toward that. Sometimes a person in a in an institutional leadership role opens a door for someone. That's a part of mentoring, I think, too. And you hear the language of pouring into people. Uh, it, that can sound very hierarchical, and at our worst, our organizations are that way. Uh, and when our institutions uh, are not healthy, um, one of the one of the ways of getting a different perspective is to learn from people on the edges, to learn from to listen to voices on the margins. That can be threatening for people in roles like mine, uh, but it's necessary. And uh, and so a lot of time, church people. If you go to a typical church, you will meet um, people often the same age. Often it's an older age. Uh, You often will meet uh, people in in Anglo churches who are mostly Anglo. Uh, If you get out into the culture, you know, this morning I was in a restaurant early this morning with my wife, uh, and I just looked around and I thought about what if this were a church? You know, it would have been a much more diverse church, right? And so reverse mentoring is learning from people who are are at the edges and on the on the margins and the periphery is what what in the center can you gain from the edge? And I think actually in Christian tradition that was done by the desert mothers and fathers who were way out on the edge and they heard God speaking and spoke into the church tradition and renewed it. And, 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 and it's not instrumental really that you do it for the purpose of renewing your institution. It's really that God often speaks that way. And so that's a little bit of what I think about with reverse mentoring. Uh, We had a retreat a few years ago, the cabinet of the Florida conference and the entire retreat was three persons. Um, Michael was one, Derek Scott was another, Audrey Warren was a third, and they were our reverse mentors. And they talked to us about, you know, what does it mean to envision a whole lifetime of service and imagine how things will change during that time? That was one question they they brought to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Bishop Carter, I think there's a, a parallel with this um, in the recovery community. Um, where there's this concept of sponsorship. And so, you know, we say you find somebody that 
that you want what they have or they're they're living a life of sobriety that's compelling and beautiful and then you you do what they do and you like learn from them and kind of process but then when you're in it for a long time and you really start to sponsor lots of other people and and it really becomes it's through actually sponsoring them that your sobriety gets expanded to new horizons and i learned this from you about reverse mentorship um hopefully i i can you know start this younger than i see a lot of folks unfortunately i don't think really understand the power of reverse mentorship so like i learned from piper and and i surround myself with young people that are doing really cool incredible stuff and try to learn from them so amen powerful lesson you've set for the whole conference in that Mm -hmm. Um, yeah very cool i love that i like that idea a lot and i think that's I mean, how else, you know, do you move forward unless you listen, you know, be willing to listen to people who are not in those positions who might not have um, similar experiences and, you know, be doing something that's, oh, this is how we've always been been doing it. This is how it's always done. We need those folks who say, well, I didn't even know that existed. I've been doing this completely other different thing, you know, to bring Mm -hmm. you into this new light, into a new way of seeing things. So I love that. Right. Yeah, and I, I wonder if too, like one of the major principles in the Fresh Expressions movement is listening, right? Right. <clears throat> and we've been trained for so long to like go and to speak and to like bring, you know, the resources and like we have the answers already, right? Rather mm-hmm. than this posture of vulnerability, the Fresh Expressions way, which is like we're coming to listen and learn, speak less, listen more. Um and that's that's a pretty big shift in I think mission history across church history. Right. We've not done that great at different times, right? So hopefully, right. this movement brings a little bit of that back in. Mm. Right, right. And you know about listening, and this is kind of confession. Uh, I can remember a time in the ministry where I was very influenced by the preaching of a part of the church where you actually had a sermon outline with fill in the blanks. <laughs> That's right. I don't know if you even, this I, may be the next ball, but I, so mm-hmm. I would have a sermon and there, it would have a, a structure mm-hmm. and, and there was a word that people would fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you just said that, Michael, about listening, um, that's not really, that's, that's the idea that the preacher listens to God and then comes to the people and shares what God said to the preacher. And I think uh, Fresh Expressions, the, the listening is that God, through God's provenient grace, is already in the lives of people, and it's how to listen. And of course, the best preachers do that. They've been among their people through the week, where they live, where they hurt, and they've listened there. And then that, if, when that comes into the sermon, it's a beautiful thing. So listening is profound and it relates to curiosity, you know, being curious about people. Mm-hmm. And, and I think uh, not, not leading with what is my label for them, but being actually curious and listening to, to where they are. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because when you think if the roles are reversed and somebody tells is trying is coming into a conversation or a relationship where they think they have all the answers to give you, 
I know for me personally, that friendship wouldn't go very far. <laughs> I wouldn't want to spend very much time with them because I can tell that they don't see me as somebody, you know, who has something valuable to add to a conversation. Right, right. Cool. Well, so our we our second question was, what do you do? But I think we kind of established that a bit. So the, the second part of that question is, what is your connection to the Fresh Expressions movement? I think the Fresh Expressions movement appealed to me when I had had a few years experience in the new church development uh, sphere. And people who were planting new churches, and we planted a new church, my wife and I did. It's, I think it just became 25 years old three or four years ago. Uh, but I just noticed that um, in the planting of new churches, it seemed to be, uh, in some ways, very expensive. It seemed to be very exhausting. There seemed to be a lot of attrition of people who were doing it. There was a lot of suspicion about it, and, and it did not seem to be sustainable for the church. And it did not really seem to fit the lives of younger generations these, these new churches were designed for. And that was the idea that we will send a pastor your age. They will gather a group of three or 400 people. You'll raise enough money to buy some property. Now, you know, and part of this was the economic lives of many young adults. They were just starting in a very different place. Does this make sense than people generations before? And that I could talk about how how different it was uh, in the cost of having a child when my wife and I had children and when our daughter has had children, that sort of thing. Student loans, how different they were a generation ago. And so you just were, it was unlikely that you were going to get people together like that and they were gonna that, that just didn't seem to fit the lives but what did seem to fit was this model of the fresh expressions movement which i began to learn about through the church of england and people like graham cray and of course the british methodists were a part of it from the beginning and just their willingness to see life in a different way and and really their their origin of fresh expressions was really out of the failure of the parish system that if you live in this parish in this neighborhood you'll be a part of this church increasingly they were learning that wasn't the case and so how to plant expressions of christianity in the culture and and then almost simultaneously i began to see it emerged organically. And at the time I was in North Carolina in the mountains. And the first one I say that I ever really saw and was a part of was River of Life in Bryson City, North Carolina, which was at, a, at an outdoor uh, canoeing, kayaking center uh, led by a person who had strong credibility in that community. He had been a kayaker and canoeist, and he started a community there and it was not with the idea that you'll migrate to the church building but it was that this will be 
will be a, a new community. And, and, and so I began to do that. And then in Florida, we began to try to create these and Michael very quickly emerged as the, as the thought leader of this and, and as the practitioner and you have Piper. And, and so to try to create expressions of church, I could go on further. Fresh expressions were important because many people have had harmful experiences inside church buildings and with church leaders. And uh, they just, um, it's just, there are many reasons why they um, have a fear or an anxiety or a resistance to crossing the threshold of entering ecclesial space. And so the idea is to, to be where they are and, and as, as we said, to listen and to begin to develop a relationship as a way of making disciples. Yeah, Bishop Carter, I remember, um, I hope, I know we've talked about this before, but um, when when you were really setting the vision and kind of getting this going as an initiative, um, in, in our ministry, we were always kind of doing this stuff, but didn't have a language for it or the, the journey and all the beautiful things that the Fresh Expressions kind of uh, language and stuff gives us. Um, and we were starting this crazy thing in a tattoo parlor. And my wife and my co-pastor, who is a little bit more sensible than I am in most cases, she was like, don't you think you might want to ask Bishop Carter about this? So I sent you an email. I don't know if you remember this. And I said, hey, if you had a clergy that was starting a church in a tattoo parlor, you know, how would you feel about that? And you were like, I would say, you know, go for it. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And that was 10 years ago, the t tattoo parlor church. But the um, the way that I almost felt like the way I was doing ministry, I, I like had to keep it secret or something. It was wrong or mm. like, but then you just gave permission to our whole system to like, no, this is okay. You know, reach mm. people, form relationships, do things. Yeah. And and so I don't know if you know how like liberative that was for so many mm. of us. I know Piper as well, like, oh, we're not actually doing anything wrong. This is a valid way to be in ministry, no. even encouraged. So that really set a lot of people free. Well, we appreciate you for that. Well, thank God. Thank thank you all. And thank God. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. You mentioned talking about the ways that um, people have the reasons why they might not be coming to the traditional or inherited, depending on, you know, mm -hmm. the words that we use. Um, so the one definition that's kind of like the definition of fresh expressions is a fresh expression of church is a form of church for our changing culture established primarily for the benefit of people who are not yet members of any church. So in what ways have you seen our culture change that we might, um, that might bring about the need for these new ways of being church? Well, who are these people who are not yet members of churches and why are they not just going to walk through the doors of first church UMC, you know? Yeah. You know, uh, Michael's been very integral to the relationship with, with the British church and fresh expressions and their church army research data uh, a few years ago said that um, 40 percent of people um, will not attend church uh, 
regardless of what a great band we have or how cool the minister is or, or our technology, they will not come inside the church. Um, 40% of the people are simply not engaged and the fir the first group they've they've been harmed they they've had experiences or by things the church has said or done uh the, the next 40 percent is simply not a part of their life you know they simply they find meaning other ways and so the 20 percent are they say 10 percent are people who sometimes find themselves in a church uh, for a wedding, for a memorial service, something like that. And then Christmas and Easter. And then 10% um, are active in local churches. And so the mainline church, I would say over the last 20, 30 years, has primarily been focusing on that 20%. And I've heard Graham Cray portray this visually. It's like we're fishing in this very small pond. <laughs> And, and so the question is how to have a relationship with the 80% of people. And, uh, and, and that really is to understand where people actually live and gather. And this is a part of the genius of fresh expressions, the third spaces, uh, the, the spaces where people play the spaces where people share meals, uh, the spaces where people socialize and, uh, and where, where people, people groups overlap. Uh, and they are tattoo parlors. They are uh, places where people fish and play softball. And they are, they are scenes for the arts and they are pubs, and they are coffee places, and they are laundromats, and they cut across every kind of social class uh, and every kind of race. And in Florida, we've had, you know, burritos and Bible, and we've had cafe and La Calle, and we've had, you know, we could just go on yoga chapel. Uh, and it really is how to get smaller, how to get more nimble how to work more slowly, how to develop relationships. And, and, in a, and in the mixed ecology, and this is another thing I love about Fresh Expressions, it's that we don't have to trash the traditional church or disparage it. It does meet a need for many people. And there are anchor churches that really are the engines for some good things. Uh, and it's like, how can we have a mixed ecology uh, that has inherited and the new. And that's, uh, and so I think even cultures that are traditionally church cultures or Bible Belt cultures, if you interview a, a group of people across generations, you'll discover that genera gener generationally it is all changing. And so that's what I think Fresh Expressions as a way of as a way of creating community, people are lonely. As a way of of making disciples, which and discipleship arises out of people's questions, and that's that's very much the way Jesus taught. You know, as as a rabbi, you read the Gospels, the four Gospels. He taught by asking questions, mm -hmm. uh, and and by amazingly miraculous things that happened. 
uh, along the way. That's good. Yeah, I know some research says that that Jesus asked a total of like 307 questions and that he was yeah. Yeah. a biological, you know, preacher. And even the parables kind of invited people into ask deeper questions and find themselves in the stories. And that's what we're doing in Fresh Expression with Jesus stories and sermonic conversations. And right. Piper, could I could I flip that question on you? And um, you know, from from your view as a as a young person, um, like how do you see that cultural change happening? Mm. Well, I know for me, I grew up in a um I didn't grow up United Methodist. I grew up in the Church of the Nazarene, which is Wesleyan, but a little closer to kind of Pentecostal, the holiness, holiness movement. Um, and the I also went to a private school growing up. So I was very kind of inundated with um, with the evangelical church. And so all of my friends from college, basically all of them don't go to church anymore are like, mar you know, gen maybe marginally religious or adjacent to it, you know, um, either that or they have, or they're all in, it's kind of one or the other. Um, and similarly, I see a lot with the fresh expressions that I do, it draws in a lot of people who have that church hurt. And I think that, um, especially in these last couple of years with politics and all of the different things that we've seen kind of on the um, global national scale, the way that we've seen um, different leaders kind of reacting and acting um, that are supposedly representing Christianity, it's really tough for people to continue to identify as that when they don't see what they've read about Jesus and what they learned about, about Jesus um, actually being lived out. You know, I always kind of joke that I'm just loving, you taught me to love people and that's what I'm doing. And, Amen. and it did make me leave, walk out the front door of the church for many years, you know, and I've slowly kind of found my way back, but kind of on in my own way through fresh expressions. Um, and yeah. so I think there are a lot of people who have left the church or who it just doesn't fit their life. Like you're saying, they only have two days off a week. And when else are they going to be able to go hiking and go camping and spend time with their friends and clean their house and uh, take care of their kids and those kinds of things. So people, um, you know, Sunday mornings just are not part of the flow of people's everyday lives anymore. But at the same time, I think, not only do people, there are a lot of people that desire to have a community and a space where they can talk about things and dig a little bit deeper than typical, you know, friend conversations or typical conversations you would have kind of in public. They want to go deeper and they want to explore things and they want to share their thoughts and feelings and fears and doubts with other people. And out of that evolves the spirituality and it evolves, um, this sense of deep, deep sense of belonging, and it creates these environments. And I think people not only want that and should have that, I think they also deserve us to create spaces, us as in any anybody, you know, to create these kinds of spaces. And so um, I think that's where that's why I like that fresh expressions, it's kind of redefining church, it takes some of these okay. core things, um, it takes Jesus, it takes belonging and community and caring for one another, interconnectedness, and it 
flips it all around into this completely different way that works for people like me and works for this new generation. And everybody has a say, which I think is a big part. Everybody has a say in how a community can look and um, everybody gets to be a part of shaping and teaching one another. And a big thing I really, really, really love about Fresh Expressions is that it's about belonging before believing. You don't have mm -hmm. to become a member. You don't have to sign something. You don't have to dress a certain way or act a certain way to be a part of these communities. And that's what I love about Fresh Expressions. Yeah. That's what I think. Yeah. Let me let me just share. Thank you, Piper. Let me just share uh, uh, kind of a miraculous story that happened during these years in Florida. And, and you've, Michael and Piper, you may have heard me talk about this, but it is it is the experience of Patty Opperly when she was a pastor in Pahokee. And she came to be a friend to a sex offender village that was just outside of that town. And she went over and found them singing Christian music. This is a place where Florida warehouses people convicted of being a sex offender. Over time, she kind of became their pastor and started a service there and using safe sanctuary processes began and with and along with her lay leaders began to bring some of them to sing in the choir of that church and and that led to a news article about that and then that led to a, a playwright writing a, a, an off-Broadway play about that called America is Hard to See, uh, which we went up for the premiere of when, when that opened on, on in New York City. It was also at the Fringe in Edinburgh, uh, which is the largest festival in the world. And the person who played Patty, the clergywoman, this was about how those persons became a part of the church and blessed and gifted each other. And I won't say her name, but she's been public about it. The person who played Patty, the clergywoman, was the daughter of two iconic Christian music celebrities. And I met her and she told me that she had become disenchanted with the church and wanted to get as far away as she could from the church. Mm. And she had moved to New York City, to, and she's very gifted to become a singer and an actress. And just the miraculous way God worked, that every night she played this female pastor who offered the radical, unconditional grace of Jesus to these persons. Uh, and Piper, when you were sharing your story, I heard echoes of that story in this one. And, and, and the, the community there was a fresh expression of church. But even, even in a theater, every night, people coming and seeing and hearing the gospel um uh, it's just it's just surprising how how in miraculous ways god the holy spirit cannot be contained and jesus cannot be contained and our containers are our own problem 
Uh, and that's what I love about Fresh Expressions. Uh, so thank you, Piper. You, When you told your story, it reminded me of that one as well. And they're both two great stories. Yeah. So I'm really excited about this, this question, Bishop Carter. As somebody who has decades of pastoral experience serving the church, uh, Bishop chairing the commission on a way forward, um, being the council uh, president of the bishops, all that you've done, where do you see the future of the church heading? Yeah. Well, uh, to me, that's, uh, I would first say, the fact that I might say something doesn't mean it comes down from on high. <laughs> so I could be wrong. Uh, so this is not a, like, I'll sometimes, watch, I love sports, and I'll sometimes watch people talking about sports, and they'll talk about what's going to happen in a game, and nothing like that happens. So, uh, and that's just the the crazy uh, messiness of how God works. Uh, just that the three of us, that God would have been doing all this in our lives. I mean, who who would, I, I couldn't have imagined it for myself. Uh, I would say, clearly something is dying right now you know clearly something is dying and that's the grief that's the loss that's the anger it's all those phases of the grief process something is dying some of our buildings are closing some people are leaving denominations for other things uh so something is ending and 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 something is also being born, I believe. And I would say, you know, my role in all this is I think I'm kind of a bridge person. You know, I lived most of my life in the old paradigm, but, but I understand it has a, a finite time frame to it and it's something is being born and and i will not fully live in what is next but i'm excited about it and i think we've got to have new metrics we've got to i mean we've got to tell hopeful stories uh we've got to channel resources toward what's growing towards what's generative and we can do that and, and I think uh, we've got to invest in part of fresh expressions is less investment in buildings, more investment in people. And, and we have enough buildings and there are enough buildings in most places and we don't have to own a space to inhabit a space. Right. And so I think, you know, the, the, the hangover of the church from the 40s and 50s and into the 60s and 70s. I read a book about kind of historic kind of downtown churches. They were in decline in the 70s. You know, that was 40 years ago, 45 years ago. And so uh, we've had this long trend. We've been in denial about it. So I, I really see the future as... As, as in some ways, really hopeful. I see it as being really innovative. Uh, I think uh, if we can get through the, the process of grieving and death, if we can try not to do so much harm to each other, 
and and again, I, I, I was sharing that I, I'm also sometimes a part of conversations that are with an evangelical board on which I serve, which is I'm the only United Methodist. And I can tell you the things we experience are not within one denomination. So it's not United Methodist. It's not Church of England. It's, it's also Bible churches and vineyard churches and non-denominational churches. And mm-hmm. everyone is, I think there is a movement away from, I would just say it, mega churches, away from mega churches and away from church growth to authentic relationships um, to um, not saying come to us, but we will, we will come to you. We will inhabit your space. uh, And, and we, we need to have a a way of, um, I guess, feeling good about that. And we need to have a way of uh, naming that and counting that, counting it just for the purpose of saying this is important. And and technology certainly, and you've been a you've been a voice for this. We sometimes will count the people who are in a building and we'll say, I know, yes, we have so many people watching online. Uh, and yet there are a dozen reasons people are going to engage the church in the future online. Uh, one of them, for example, is people whose spouses have something like dementia which is going to be a huge population. Uh, And I have met some people who simply say, I'm just not able to come to the church anymore. Uh, And so the the way we are engaging uh, right now uh, is a, is a spiritual practice. Uh, Mm. And uh, it is more inclusive a lot of what we do with technology simply allows us to reach more, more people. And, uh, you know, I have, I have on my, uh, you know, my iPhone, a thing that comes up once a week that says you spent so many hours a day on this device. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is where, so this is where a lot of people yeah. living and you, you both are much farther along in this than I am, but that's what I see as the future. I think the, the the uh the content it is the gospels it is the scriptures it is the creeds that doesn't change now we you know we're always being formed in it you know we you know hopefully i'm maturing i'm changing and we're always trying to relate it to our life experience but that's what mature disciples of jesus have always done so that's that's kind of what i see it as i think institutions uh, the purpose of institutions and institutional church is, and I, this is just my bias, most people don't love institutions, but they need the things, a few of the things institutions do for them. And, and without institutions, the most vulnerable people are really vulnerable. And, and so for me, that we need like just enough institutional framework to make those things possible without getting in the way of the creativity. So, so that's a, that's a start. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Very good. That was good. So I have this question 
since you wrote a book recently with Audrey Warren called Fresh Expressions of People Over Property. And part of what you discuss is how buildings are important, our church buildings are. Um, they're often not only just a place for you to gather on Sundays, but they also carry with them memories and a sacredness and for some people even a source of identity, who they are. So how do we how does that go along with fresh expressions and how do you create, how do you reimagine these church buildings so that they don't just sit empty most days of the week or they don't fall into disrepair, but they can be used within communities and used maybe as a, a hub or a space or a place where fresh expressions and new ways of doing church can happen. Do you think it's possible within these old buildings that we have scattered all throughout our cities and states? You know, I do think uh, certainly space, the physical space we inhabit is important. My wife has a background in interior design, and I've seen how she can redesign a space and it makes you feel totally different. But many of our church buildings really were designed for half a century ago, you know, and, uh, and have never really been repurposed. Uh, and there has been a lot of study around what percentage of time during a week many of our churches are used. In Western North Carolina, they did a study of their church buildings. They discovered that they had uh, $3 billion worth of properties. And on average, they were being used something like 13% a week. Mm -hmm. 13% of the time. Uh, now, in retail, that number has to be about 75% of the week for a viable retail endeavor. And they do have a group, it's called the Wesley uh, Community Development Corporation, where they have a couple of people who, who really have expertise in the use of space and the design of space and the church really needs to enter into this conversation with that kind of expertise. If we don't, uh, if churches are just working with people who know about space and its uses, it's a very unlevel playing field. Does that make sense? And so first, churches need to recognize how valuable their property is. And then I think there are ways to think about its use in terms of co-working space. Uh, some churches are really begin, beginning to think about their church space in terms of affordable housing, which is a crisis, uh, mm -hmm. affordable housing for people. Uh, churches are thinking about how some part of their space can be a revenue stream uh, and and the revenue stream can support ministries, can support uh, staffing, can support people. And to see it as an asset and not as a liability or an albatross. And, and that takes some creative work and some leadership, but that is being done. Uh, and it, I would say that's really important in cities, but it's also really important in rural areas that there is just a shortage of places where 99% of people can live. You know, we're, we're kind of building, we're doing a great job of building houses for a small group of people. And I know that's, that's, 
there's a that there's a reason for that it's about it's about economics but how can the church and the kingdom do that in a different way and uh and so that i see piper as the question about buildings and in the book audrey and i wrote about uh people over property uh, we talked about some images, you know, the church, for example, one is the church is a museum, which many churches feel like museums. They feel like a certain kind of museum. And yet you probably both have been some of, to some of the more creative museums in the United States. There are some phenomenal museums and they take their treasure, but they fully share it with the community. The treasure may be a horrific story. That happened in American history, like uh, the lynching museum in Montgomery as a museum. You know, when you think of museum, uh, that's not the traditional museum you think about. But they're telling an an important story, an essential story. and, And that's what the gospel is. It's an essential story. But. Some of our churches uh, have many rooms, as you said, Piper, that are locked most of the time. You know, there's a history part of it and maybe a musical instrument part of it and a group only one group gets to be in and how we open up that space, but how we open up that treasure. And in the, in the, in the beginning, and, and Michael's great at this, the originators, you know, what they did when they built that space, it was creative when they built it, right? Mm-hmm. But over time, we, I get kind of calcified. And, and so I think, I think this is really, um, you know, I think this is really um, at the heart of what's going to be important work to do in the coming years. It is, how we fully leverage our property and how we fully support our people. Does that make sense? And that's, um, that's really the strategic tactical work. Uh, and it's, and it's really exciting. We have in Florida, we have hundreds of buildings, you know, and, and because of our history as a, fractured denomination of north and south we've got buildings very close to each other you know that that um we are not going to need that you know and people can drive a car from one to the other and how we do that with integrity and uh and not not abandon places but but how we repurpose redesign I love that. Um, so pulling just a couple strands together here with this final question as we kind of wind down our conversation here. Um, <clears throat> some of what you said about the importance of like digitality and, um, you know, aspects of, you know, streaming worship are, are going to be able to really keep people who can't physically come connected and also taking, um, you know, you were real pioneering with the use of third place and and how we go about that and how um, digital space is its own kind of third place, right? Um, and I love what 
uh, Fred Rogers said about the space between the screens, you know, that that's holy ground, right? And we're, we're in a built environment together here that's not a structure as in, you know, brick and mortar, but we're actually in a in an environment together, space together, and we're forming relationships. So all the really cool stuff with, you know, churches in VR and churches is inhabiting digital space together is really cool. And then about, you know, the property conversation, this treasure, this resource that we have um, and that kind of space. So I just had this meeting, you know, uh, two weeks ago with the St. Markins, the church that I get to be pastor of, one of. Um, and we had a really kind of a contentious um, uh, meeting about, so we already house a shelter for men experiencing homelessness. We have two buildings dedicated fully as an AA clubhouse, NA clubhouse. We have a step-up house for when people come through our Open Arms Village program. They have a place that's in between, you know, not fully free out into the world, but a place they can pay rent and kind of, so literally every space we have, we're kind of using it for missional purposes. But um, we had a, a, a counseling center, mental health, uh, called Dignity Counseling, who we've been partnering with in ministry. Uh, say, hey, we would love to move our center into the church. And and so we have an office and finance areas and all that. So we had a kind of a contentious meeting because some people were holding on to like, well, we want our pastor to be in there. And and one day we'll get back to that, right? Where the mm -hmm. pastor will sit in. The, and we had to really say no. Um, and we have the sanctuary space with all these rooms like clutters, uh, like Elaine Heath calls it. Um, you could smell, you know, uh, old hymnals and despair. It's like storage areas, right? And I said, what if we clean all those out, you know, and do that and, and renovate those and use those spaces too, where every single square foot of our church is being used every week, right? And so now we'll have a counseling center living in our church and it's an income stream, but it's also providing a vital ministry for people. Um, and so just the creativity that I'm seeing with Methodists doing that kind of stuff with their buildings, just amazing. Um and the the final question um, in in Fresh Expressions uh, UM and Fresh Expressions Florida and Bishop Carter, you helped create the like theological document and the values. So we talk about being inclusive, uh, where these are communities that are a manifestation of God's all encompassing love, uh, that they're accessible, so they happen in a time and place that that people can access in a language that people can understand. Um, that they're transformative, that we're on that journey of grace, you know, prevening, prevenient, mm -hmm. and sanctified, um, and that they're connectional, that the, the really important uh, emphasis on being a, a connection with the body of Christ and with inherited congregations and with the, the wider church and ecumenical. Um, and so what do you see, and, and those are actually Wesleyan, I think, core values. Mm -hmm. yeah. So what do you see as like the treasures of early Methodism or primitive Methodism or like really kind of the foundational kind of key ideas? Um, how do you see the Fresh Expressions movement bringing forth some of those Wesleyan ideas and maybe jettisoning off some of the more harmful ones too? Right. Um, but yeah. You know, I think a couple of the core values of those early Methodist small groups, they're, and they're really deeply rooted in a couple of verses in Scripture. And one is to watch over one another in love. 
which was a part of the general rules and is echoed in Galatians. And I think that is, uh, we need people who encourage us. We need people who want us to show up as our best self. Uh, we need people who see the image of God in us, even when we don't see the image of God in ourselves. You've had people like that in your life. I have too. And, and, and we, and so that happens in communities and often it happens in a few important relationships, but it could be a small group, could be a Sunday school class, could be a Bible study, could be a recovery group, could be a family, could be a group of friends, could be a covenant group. Um, I think re recreating that framework and, and rediscovering that DNA. And then the other piece is from early Methodism is to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And that is that, that idea in Philippians two of, you know, working out our salvation. It's not a box we check. I mean, I walked down an aisle, I raised my hand, I publicly professed, I was baptized. That's going to be a, the way I was wired till the day I die. But that idea of working out my salvation with fear and trembling, that working it out. And that's, uh, that's just, uh, that means uh, that God is restoring the image of God. That's holiness. And, and it's a uh, step forward, another step forward, step back and step sideways and then moving forward. And I think um, that's where people really live. And I've seen that with people. You know, I, I think people are not issues. People simply go through life and something really important happens. Sometimes unexpected happens. Sometimes something that's beyond my categories happens. And 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 I wanna I wanna hold my faith and I wanna make it make sense of that. To me, that's the quadrilateral, that's scripture, reading it in a tradition, thinking about it and experiencing Christ in it. And 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 so I think those are all important Methodist values. It's not kind of standing in one place saying this is where I stand. Uh, that's not really Methodist. We were always more conferring with other disciples and uh, and how the scripture confers with our experience. So that's some of what I see in all this. And I think it's really uh, it's really wonderfully designed for something like Fresh Expressions. Awesome. Yeah, I, I loved I got to hear you teach a couple of weeks ago and um, you were talking about how they're always talking about the door, we, we yeah. like the Wesley's house analogy. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, you know, there's that prevenient grace front porch, the door of salvation. But then there's right. this whole big man right. you were teaching us of sanctifying grace and working out living in that house. And that's yeah. a lot. Yeah. And but we're always talking about the door. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, I would say, you know, a big part of Fresh Expressions is context. You know, it's the context. And I think for right now and for the church going forward, just a part of our context is the polarization 
It's the political polarization. It's why a lot of people don't want to be pastors right now. You know, a lot of people do not want to be pastors right now because the polarization. And they're either accused of speaking about politics too much or not enough or, you know, it's just the air people breathe. And, mm. and so it's the polarization and it's the exhaustion. And it's just people have been through so much for so long. And and I think, uh, you know, how is the how are we going to create Christian communities that help people through the polarization and, and beyond? the exhaustion. And I think that's uh, the church that's going to flourish. I don't have the magic bullet for this, but the church that's going to flourish is going to help people in those two ways. And I think we, I wish we lived in a more unified time, you know, and I wish we lived, I wish we had, people were pretty exhausted before the pandemic ever came. And then we lived for all these all this time, and people suffered, and 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 again. So I, I think that's that's also going to shape all this. And I think people need a safe place to process both of those things. So, do you have any um, any closing thoughts to? Um, our listeners, those who might be interested in Fresh Expressions, haven't heard about it, maybe want to do it themselves, wonder why it's important, why they should care about Fresh Expressions and about trying to do, trying to explore that in their communities. You know, I first just thank you, Michael and Piper, for the conversation. I think um, if you have a stereotype about what the church is, I just would love it if you would allow uh, something like fresh expressions to open a little, open the door a little bit and let some fresh air in and, uh, and don't have a preconceived notion. It's not wanting you to get to a certain outcome. It's simply wanting to get on your, it's wanting to get on your turf and, and in your space and where you live. And, uh, and as I was saying earlier, it's not a, a blank we're looking for a word for for you to write in that's the word we're already thinking about it's how how we can tap into what god's already doing uh where you are and and be to be more aware of that uh to be more curious about it to be less judgmental about it and at our best i think really fresh expressions is I've never said it in quite this way, but it, in some ways, it's really what the church could be at its best. And really, really, it's kind of like the word became flesh and lived among us. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Uh, and so it's not come to our church. It's we want to be neighbors. And, you know, and that's, uh, and so that takes a little bit of a risk, I realize, for people. And, and so certainly the Florida expression of this movement, there are wonderful conversation partners who I know would love to, to, to just listen and connect if there are people listening who want to take that step.
Awesome. Well, I say that our first podcast was a success. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, we appreciate you taking the time to ramble with us and to dream with us about about fresh expressions. It's always an honor to hear from you and to know that you support what we're up Absolutely. to. Absolutely. Thank you both. Thank you we so set, much. We set the bar so high that no other interview is ever going to, this is going to uh, be like, uh, No, I think we're just going to plateau at the top. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And to those listening, thank you so much for joining in on this first ever episode of New People, New Ways. If you enjoyed this conversation with Bishop Carter, please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform that you're listening through. And thank you again, Bishop Carter, for joining us. And thank you to Brittany Jackson, uh, the communication director at Florida UMC, for all of her guidance and assistance in producing this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Fresh Expressions, you can check out our website at freshexpressionsfl.org and find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or out there. We're everywhere. So we'd love to connect with you and to get to know you and to help you um, explore these new ways of being the church. So we'll see you next time on Fresh Ex- or on we'll see you next time. Uh oh, I messed up my first conclusion. It's all right. <laughs> first time, first time. So we will see you next time on New People, New Ways, reaching new people with the love and grace of God in new places and in new ways. Mm-hmm.